This is the menu on Native America Calling, our regular tasting of indigenous food news and stories. I'm your host and producer, Andy Murphy. What came first, the chicken or the egg? It doesn't matter because egg prices are skyrocketing. We'll talk with a native egg producer about what's behind the recent spike in prices. We'll also visit with native chefs nominated for a prestigious culinary award. And we'll get a tour of the All All Cafe in Seattle, a new traditional indigenous foods eatery backed by a native-run subsidized housing project. We're back after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Native Americans in Montana face a slew of challenges to finding housing, including claims of discrimination. A tight housing market in the state and across the country presents its own problems for finding an affordable place to live. Eric Tigadoff reports. Les Lefthand with All Nation Youth Partner for Success in Billings says his last name was a barrier for him and his wife when they were looking for a home. He says eventually they used her maiden name on applications. When she applied for some of these places, yeah, it's just Leslie Martin. They were more open to that until they saw my name on there. And then that's when the red flags were waved. And of course, some of them were just outright not willing to talk to us. Left Hand's organization works to prevent drug use among young people ages 9 to 20. And he says people they work with, as well as friends and family, have similar experiences. Rental costs like security deposits and first and last month's rent can be challenges as well. Analyses on housing issues for Native Americans are scarce, but a study from before the pandemic found 16% of Native Americans reported overcrowding, compared with 2% of the U.S. population as a whole. Left Hand says organizations like the Native American Development Corporation can help people who feel they have been discriminated against or having trouble looking for housing. Most of all, he encourages people to be persistent. I'm always willing to help people out and try to steer them in the right direction and then just give them the hope that there is somebody out there that might have an opportunity to open a door and then they succeed in that area. But then, like I tell them, don't give up so easily. I'm Eric Tegadoff. This week, California tribal leaders, state lawmakers, and other guests gathered at the Capitol in Sacramento to celebrate the appointment of Assemblymember James Ramos to serve as rules chair. Ramos is the first California Native American to serve as chair of the powerful Assembly Rules Committee. He's also the first and only California Native American serving in the legislature. In remarks, Ramos, who was elected in 2018, reflected on his work alongside Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon. Once we got elected, I um, encouraged the speaker to grant me a legislative caucus, which the speaker graciously did, and we went to work on MMIW issues, we went to work on foster care issues, um, repatriation issues, um, and many other issues, so much so that in the time that we've been here, we've um, successfully moved 22 tribal bills that got signed into law. Both Ramos and Speaker Rendon recounted some of the painful past Native people faced, including extermination efforts by governments. Rendon expressed how historic moments like the appointment should be recognized. Our next rules chair, who, uh, when this building was founded, would not have had the right to vote, would certainly not have the right to serve in our body, um, but to a large extent uh, would, could have faced persecution and genocide could have been a victim of genocide. 
The extent to which history changes, the extent to which history moves, is something that all of us, all of us have the agency to be involved in. When we think about history being current, we should appreciate moments such as these. A handful of tribal leaders from across the state spoke at the event, expressing their gratitude and the need for Native American representation in the legislature. Ramos was appointed rules chair in December. This week, Albert Ian Schweitzer walked free after more than two decades in prison. A judge in Hawaii dismissed his conviction for the rape and murder of Dana Ireland based on new DNA testing that excluded him and co-defendants. It identified a single unknown male. Schweitzer, his younger brother, and another man who is now deceased were convicted of the crime. The Hawaii Innocence Project fought for his release. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. A historical master trauma class taught by Dr. Ruby Gibson and staff provides tuition-free online training to tribal members who are therapists, counselors, social workers, and traditional healers. Enrollment deadline is March 24, 2023 at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is The Menu on Native America Calling, our regular feature about indigenous food news and sovereignty. I'm Andy Murphy. A new Native restaurant opened its doors recently in Seattle. All All Cafe is making dishes from Native produce ingredients and serving up shots of espresso and coffee in Seattle's Pioneer Square. Later in the hour, we'll talk with some small independent egg producers about these high egg prices. Also, small-scale egg production and how their business fits into local tribal food sovereignty movements. But first, four Native chefs were nominated for Best Chef Awards by the James Beard Foundation. That's sort of like the Academy Awards of the food world. If you'd like to join the conversation, give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. Are there any new Native food projects taking place in your Native community? That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We're also on social media, Facebook, um, at Native America Calling on Instagram. Let's bring in our first guest. We have uh, Justin Paiochi joining us from Upper Fruitland in New Mexico. He's a chef and owner of Paiochi Food Group and a James, Boer, James Beard Award Best Chef semifinalist. He's Dene. Welcome to the menu, Justin. Hey, how's it going, y'all? Uh, everybody. It's going pretty good. I bet you're still very excited. Congratulations. Uh, how does it feel? It's been a couple of days since, uh, you know, you've added that uh, semifinalist to your title. Yeah, it's been bonkers. I've been getting, we've been getting calls from all over the United States and it's surreal basically. And like it finally started hitting me last night and we're just 
um, we're proud of what we do, and we try to put our best foot forward with every, every um, aspect of our of our business that we we offer. Right, right, and and you're among um, a list of uh, four Native chefs who have also been nominated as semifinalists. Let me go through this list. Um, Wampanoag chef Sherry Pocknick of the Sly Fox Den restaurant was nominated for Best Chef of the Northwest. Also, um, White Mountain Apache chef Nephi Craig of Cafe Gojo and Dene chef Jaron Bates of The Table at Junipine in Sedona, Arizona. Those two were nominated for Best Chef of the Southwest. Uh, how does it feel, Justin, to be among this list of uh, other great Native chefs? It's super humbling because um, Nephi is just an amazing person with so much knowledge, and he's done a lot of work for our communities. And it's it's, it's cool to be up here with him. And then Jaron is one of my buddies, him and Brent, who run the, the restaurant out there. And they're super cool people. They've always been supportive of us. And so we feel, we feel glad and honored to be um, recognized with these um, awesome individuals. Right. Um, I, I know Sherry Pocknick um, over at the, the Fly, uh, Sly, Fox, Sly Fox Den um, up there in Massachusetts, and she's been doing a lot of great work up in that area. Um, you know, usually... Uh, you know, in, in the past, you know, her name comes up when uh, it's November. People are starting to think about Thanksgiving, uh, uh, non-native food. Um, you know, media are thinking about Thanksgiving and, you know, Wampanoag. They're in the middle of all of that uh, uh, history. I mean, they're one of the main characters there in the whole Thanksgiving story. And um, she's been, you know, educating people about that East Coast um, indigenous food up there. And um, in the last couple of years, opened up the Sly Fox Den restaurant. And um, it's been really cool just to, you know, watch her work. Um, kind of, uh, you know, make waves up there in that area. And, you know, there's a, a handful of chefs up there in that area who are doing a lot of really great work. And it's really cool that Sherry is, um, you know, one of our elders, you know, our elders in, in this uh, Native food movement who's, um, you know, getting the, the kudos for her job, uh, for her work she's been doing all these years. Um, and I just, um, you know, learned about Jaron Bates for the first time, you know, looking at this list of of uh, chefs and restaurants who were nominated for this award. And um, I actually talked to him uh, last night a little bit because I just, you know, wanted to know who he was. It seems like I know a lot of, <laughs> I know a lot of people in this native food movement. But, um, you know, it, you know, he kind kind of came out of, um, you know, uh, um, you know, the, this uh, uh, Sedona, um, which I wasn't very familiar with, and. Um, he is also from Upper Fruitland, where you're from, uh, Justin. So, you know, have you guys, like, um, you know, called each other up and congratulated each other? You know, ha have you guys ever worked together, Justin? Uh, yeah, they actually helped us out one time up mm. in, um, in uh, Scottsdale for Arizona Bike Week. We pulled our food trailer up there, and I just put out there that I needed some extra hands around the area and... Those two jumped up and said, "We'll do it," and I was like, "Awesome! They're they're really 
cool. They made um, the whole event a lot easier to handle. And uh, yeah, Jaron lives. Uh, Jaron's parents live just down the road from me, actually. So I ran into him over at Rambler Room by uh, Bow and Arrow out here uh, a couple weeks ago, and we were saying uh, we didn't we didn't know anything about the James Beard thingy or anything like that that we were even nominated. <laughs> we were just talking about the restaurant and how cool things are going. And yeah, he's he's a pretty cool dude, talented. Yeah, yeah, he's been um, chefing around all over the place, he was telling me. And, um, you know, him and his business partner, uh, Brett, who's the executive chef um, of the table, and um, uh, Jaron is the uh, chef de cuisine uh, at the table who takes care of a lot of the desserts. Um, He was telling me, like, he's the guy who makes vegetables into desserts, and he was talking about this, like, elaborate uh, dessert menu that he has going on and you know I got to put that on my list of places to go um, sometime this year. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Justin uh, you know so, so um, you know I'm, I'm uh, you know talking a little bit about uh, uh, Jaren and um, Chef Sherry uh, Chef Nephi, um, and we, y- y- it seems like everybody kind of has the same, you know, origins in, um, the culinary arts, you know, just, um, uh, you know, going to culinary school and then really finding out, like, um, you know, your, your indigenous origins and really uplifting those indigenous foods. Uh, Justin, tell us how you've, you know, kind of found your, your voice and your your indigenous menu. Well, I didn't grow up traditionally. Um, Phoenix was a big part of my upbringing, and especially in the fine dining scene, I picked out there for a while. And I always knew that um, everybody else had a story to tell about their people, and I didn't know very much. And so I started digging. I started asking questions. I started going to workshops. I started. Uh, practicing cooking these foods. I go to the elders and try to get some recipes out of them. Sometimes you have to do some work to get um, a little bit of knowledge from the elders, but um, I was more than happy to do that. And so I just started playing around with um, the Navajo food that I do know and started playing it a little different. Not I was not changing the recipe so much, but just how it looks on the plate and whatnot. And so with our our dining experience called Loremi, which is sold out this next one on February 10th, uh, we have we do nine courses, but the whole menu is not 100% Navajo. We try to show pockets of the food that we like to eat as well. Just highlight everything in a more modern, upscale kind of a setting. And we do get a lot of questions and uh, requests for native foods, but I mean, native foods are pretty. They get pretty expensive really quick and so we have to try to explain that to them and people still want stuff for cheap and I'm like man even beef's gone up like 60% or something like that I mean eggs you were talking about earlier chicken's gone up like by double and so we're just trying we try to work with our, our customers especially on that aspect we've learned a lot and we know a lot more about um, our native culture now being able to go to places like the Res Conference and um, being able to speak at the Intertribal Agricultural Council Summit in Vegas uh, twice. Just having good friends like Linda Blackgill, Carlos Baca, and all 
all these people are, are really inspiring to me. And Chef Amy Foote in Alaska, Spring, Alaska, in Oregon. These are the people that we're starting to get in contact with, and we're, we ask questions, we learn a lot. And Oh, yeah, even Sean Sherman, we, we hang out with him a couple times. But, um, yeah. It's, it's come a long way, and um, we are still hungry for more knowledge and want to incorporate that more into our food program. Right, right. And now, you know, starting to branch out into, you know, like the mainstream uh, culinary scene, I, I uh, saw you you went to the James Beard Awards last uh, year. Uh, we're going to come up to a break in just a minute here, but uh, what was that experience like for you to go to the awards ceremony in Chicago last year? That was freaking amazing. We got to meet <laughs> some of our heroes Mm-hmm. Like Curtis Duffy, um, Rick Davis, Andrew Zimmerman, Farmer Lee Jones. I mean, our good friends from Taos, the Shed Project, were there too. Um, putting out food. And our friend Crystal Wapapa was nominated. Sean was there as well because he won. Right. It was a it was a, a really cool experience to be able to just um, have friends out there and be able to hang out and mingle and get introduced to different other people. The food was really good as well. We had a, we had a blast. I bet. <laughs> I bet. And uh, this year, the the native uh, delegation is going to be a little bit bigger there at the uh, James Beard Awards. I think it's taking place in uh, May this year. Uh, but you're listening to the menu. We'll be back after this short break. January is the time when gym regulars find a lot more people in line for the elliptical machines. Gyms usually get a boost in memberships as people seek to keep their resolutions to get in shape. We'll talk about building a good workout habit and what's changed at gyms after the pandemic. That's on the next Native America Calling. My precious relatives, don't miss your Medicaid renewal letter. Make sure you get this renewal letter so that you're not left out in the cold. Check that your local Indian health care provider or state Medicaid office has your current mailing address. For more information, talk to your local health care provider or visit medicaid.gov unwinding. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. You are listening to The Menu on Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. We're going to head into our discussion about egg prices and production in just a little bit, but you are welcome to join our conversation as well. How are egg prices affecting you? If you have a restaurant, how are egg prices affecting your business? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Before we get into eggs, I'd like to um, just bring back our first guest, uh, Justin Paiushi, uh, chef and owner of Paiushi Food Group. Um, Justin, uh, I know you don't work alone. You work with a little team of uh, folks uh, with the Paiushi Food Group. Um, Tell us about your team and then uh, tell us about where we can find you and your work. So my team is my sister. She's the general manager and co-owner of Paiushi Food Group. 
she does a lot of the um, invoicing and pricing out and just talking with people about their menus and what they want and she takes care of the front of the house for like decorating serving and all the above but she does help me out a lot with prep and she's becoming a really good cook herself and my mom is janice brown she is our finance manager and we call her our momager because she keeps us in line <laughs> um but um so we don't have a brick and mortar just yet we do have a food trailer that we set up every now and then um, i believe we're going back to phoenix again for arizona bike week um, in May, march i think it was but we also have um, Loremi dinners coming up. We're going to have to start doing more of those because we're getting more requests, and they sell out pretty quickly. But we also offer a catering as well. Uh, we can be as fancy as you like or be as simple as you need with menu. Uh, we also work on – I'm also an AmeriCorps VISTA member and stationed at the, um, an, a nonprofit educational farm called Navajo Ethno Agriculture. They've helped me out a lot with a lot of the native information. So we do we do a lot of farming there when the season permits. Mm -hmm. And then we also do just like sometimes workshops people want, they request. So we come, we do something online or whatever. But yeah, just if anybody needs food or uh, you want to talk about food, like we're always open to it. And you can give my sister a phone call. We're on Facebook, Instagram. And we also have a website as well, piochifoodgroup.com. All right. Cool. Thank you so much, and uh, congratulations again. Um, let's go to the phones. We have a uh, caller from Pine Ridge, South Dakota, li listening on Keeley. Chanupa, you are on the air. Yes, for a lot of the people listening in. You know, when you get into the understandings about health, you know, criteria and diet and all that, my people, Wakanti, Wakanti is the elders in Lakota. Wakanti lena echa wosuta wanjit hokata ke egne kamne hechun se unkunki. Na wauntok te kile echa khalo kile nungsa pina etaha taku busha eungne kamhata. Hohet khalo kile echa wosuta he aikwate. So in English, the best way to understand it, we have two traditional health dietary foods that are still essential here on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. We call it, the number one, first one is called bapa, which is dry meat, buffalo meat, deer meat, whatever. We dry it and we, we brace it with pepper or whatever, um, uh, uh, you know, a vegetable we can use to make it real nice and good tasting texture. And that's a good, that also would go good with the second um this uh, staple diet uh, uh, food that we use is called wasna, okay? Wasna is a form of mixed berries and cornmeal fried, okay, over an open fire in a skillet. And we put the uh, dry berries in there to make it nourishable, and then we roll it kind of like into a little candy bar. And if you want to, you can add your bapa to it, your jerk meat. So this is something that is essential that we dog soldiers still use at the discretion of our people. And this is what's essential for people because it also gives you more strength to stay away from the carbohydrates that belong to white man's food. Mm -hmm. Where everybody's so into, you know, the um, honey buns and, you know, Snickers candy bars <laughs> and, 
the the soda, you know, mm-hmm. Coca Cola, Pepsi, all that stuff that belongs to the all that crap fruit is really not essential for us. But ours, we dog soldiers still do that because our grandparents, our grandmothers, and our grandfathers ask us to do the jerk meat for them. Some still do it, but they they want us guys to do it because my grandmother taught me how to make you know wasna. And my mom and dad, my grandfather, my mom's dad taught me how to make jerk meat yeah. traditionally. So I still do that today. And I wanted to comment that to you guys because if we go back to our traditional dietary, we can cure all the sicknesses, even diabetes. Back mm-hmm. to you and thank you for accepting my question. How? All right, cool. Thank you so much for that, Chanupa. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, native food has been touted as, you know, really healthy. And I think that's, you know, some of the reasons why, you know, a lot of chefs have been doing the work that they are doing in their native communities at these different levels of, uh, um, you know, kitchens, kitchen spaces, you know, social media. Um, but uh, let's go to our next couple of guests here. Uh, joining us from uh, Oregon is uh, Katherine Minthorn. She's an Intertribal Agriculture Council Technical Assistant Specialist and an owner of Res Chicks Co-op. She's Umatilla. Welcome to uh, Native America Calling, Katherine. Good morning. Good morning. Um, uh, also joining us from the Umatil Res is Deb Harris. She's the president of Res Chicks Co-op, and she's Karuk. Welcome to Native America Calling, Deb. Thank you. All right, cool. It's awesome to have you guys on the show. Uh, Deb, let's uh, start off with um, egg prices. Egg prices at the grocery stores are pretty high these days. Um, why are eggs so expensive? Well, from what I've read, it's from bird flu going through and wiping out whole commercial flocks. And then I've just learned recently there's bird cholera, which infected a flock in Washington. I guess that was pretty close to us. So kind of really cuts into the egg availability. And then eventually we'll cut into the chick availability for replacement of those flocks. Right, right. And um, uh, Catherine, uh, did you want to expand on that a little bit? Why are eggs so expensive? <clears throat> Agriculturally, because of the cost of the input cost, you know, the everything went way up in 2021 and, and even higher in 2022, the cost of diesel, you know, the fuels to produce the <clears throat> cereal grain, you know, base of, of chicken feed. It went up really high. All of the input, um, fertilizers, anything to produce a crop, it all went up. So it also jumped our feed up um, probably about $5 a bag. We're paying more in 2022 and expect to see it go up in 2023. We have recently found a... Last year, we found a local producer north of Pendleton that is producing a um, feed base that is wheat, barley, and Austrian peas, and he's um, hammer milling that, and we have a pelletizer, and we intend to start producing our own feed. We'll have to add some something else into some other additives into that to make our own feed, but to get away from the high high feed costs. 
Right. And and that is also driving um maybe uh you know a price um you know a, a higher price in your eggs as well. It does. We haven't gone up that much. We were last year we were at um 375 a dozen and this year we were at 435 a dozen. So ours hasn't jumped as high as as others have. We've been able to keep it down. <clears throat> but we don't have any overhead. We don't have staff that we're paying or anything like that. We do all the work ourselves. Right, right. Um, yeah, I've seen at the grocery store, you know, you've got um, 5 $6 a dozen, and I've been hearing reports about eggs being like, um, you know, 11 to, you know, almost $15 a dozen in some areas. And um, I've, you know, in my lifetime, I've never seen eggs that expensive before. And it's kind of, um, you know, interesting to see, uh, you know, all the memes coming out from the egg prices. Um, you know, on social media, I know if, if, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's really cool just to, to hear, um, you know, the, the humor that can come out of this, especially in Indian country. Um, you know, but you're talking about your, um, you know, your situation there with, uh, Res Chicks Co-op. Let's, let's take it back a little bit. Uh, what is, uh, Res Chicks Co-op? Uh, Deb, can we, uh, um, go to that question for, with you? It actually just started off with three of us friends uh, and then Diane of the Northwest um, Co-op Development um, Company. I might have the last word wrong. Kind of got together and thought we would start this. I thought it was over the gate discussion with Catherine and I. Um, so we just started working on it, and we've been working on it for a long time. Um, we've got the three of us. We've got um, other People that are involved with us that are prospective members and per actually participating as members, we just are still working through our paperwork stuff. And we've been supplying eggs first off to um, a person that supplied eggs to her friends. And then we went to like a restaurant that's on the reservation and then to Mission Market, where we sell them by the dozen. And the community has been very supportive of that. I've had people come over here and drop off cartons if we need them, <laughs> which we can't sell out of those, but... Um, I was actually looking through my notes on my chickens that I kept, and when I started with my chickens, originally it's because a pack of 60 eggs was $13, which I thought was kind of high and not worth a drive into town. And so the, the landscape has changed dramatically, and the community has been very supportive of us. So it's real encouraging for us to keep going forward and make things better and you know get more people involved. Awesome. And about how many uh, you know. chickens? chickens do you guys have now uh, i have about 44 right now you know different i have an older group of hands that i'm kind of giving them the side eye and then the younger group <laughs> so kind of looking at yeah it's a funny topic with us going yeah <laughs> a couple of people don't like doing that stuff but and mm. plus it's all new to us on what we're going to do i mean it's just a whole growth process of managing the whole live stream of what we have and we're looking at um, getting our own chicks going because we've got roosters with Catherine's coop and trying to do our own chicks because those prices will also be pretty increased this year. The price our of chicks? Block. Yeah. Oh, okay. And um, I think you, you just mentioned that um, illness has kind of taken hold of a couple of um, chickens in the surrounding area. Is that right? Well, over across the state lines, hmm. I, I was reading where there's a, a major production block that got taken out by cholera so 
It's not too far away from us, but I think part of our co-op um, strategy is having a lot of multiple coops around the area because they're still like in our area. But then if you have something hit one coop, like what happened to Catherine's and Shell's, Shelly's coop with dogs attacking and killing everyone, yeah. um, you still have somebody producing eggs. You're still in the game. You're not like knocked out of it. So, and we're still learning and they've got hands that are coming up producing now. So we, you know, have a greater looking future right now. Right, right. And, um, you know, we're talking small scale. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, dogs and, um, you know, other predators are, are a threat. Um, you know, these are smaller coops. It's not those big, large, um, you know, chicken houses or, you know, egg farms. And, you know, those are the giant ones that have lost the millions of hens in the last, uh, you know, couple months. Um, you know, this is a co-op. Uh, Catherine, uh, can you kind of explain what a co-op is and why you guys chose to go the co-op route? Well, basically how Deb started so that the um, burden of production isn't in on any one person's shoulders. Um, the more, more that we can add into our cooperative, the more, uh, number one, the more production we will have. But as she has said, that if, if anything happens to one specific coop, you've still got the rest of the coops to carry your business forward. Um, <clears throat> as, as Deb said, you know, we were, we were formed with the assistance from the uh, Northwest Cooperative Development Center. They have a rural development grant that's specific to um, helping cooperatives form. Um, in doing so, we've um, utilized a lot of, we've utilized a lot of sources within like the USDA you know, we've used the, uh, we've received uh, from Rural Development a value-added producer grant to help with our marketing, uh, packaging, <clears throat> some equipment. Um, we've also just recently this year been invited through the FDIPR, that's the food-based or the food distribution program on Indian reservations, to be egg providers for the uh, commodity foods program on our reservation. Also the um, LSPA, the Local Food Purchase Assistance Cooperative Agreement, and that's to purchase domestic and local foods in support of local and regional um, underserved tribal farmers and ranchers. We've, we've, we've got a lot of technical assistance surrounding us and a lot of people helping us to get to the point where we've got um, cooperatives in Indian country. They're kind of an anomaly in, in what we're doing. Um, it, it's hard to do out here in Indian country to, to get people together and, and, and keep that drive and keep that focus and keep moving forward. Um, right. Intertribal Agriculture Council has the American Indian Foods Program. We also on our, we have a little logo and we've got a, um, and our website is under construction. We had one last year and we're revamping it this year, but it's um, reschicks.com. We also utilize the American Indian IAC's American Indian Foods Program, made made produced by American Indians. <clears throat> so we have all of that on our packaging. Um, right. We've we've done a lot, but we've got way more to go yet. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, we're going to come to a break in uh, just a little bit, but I wanted to uh, ask about your logo. Can you tell folks what your logo looks like? <laughs> it's um. 
it's really it, kind of girly, but it's a, mm-hmm. it's a chicken with a war bonnet, and she's got a little multicolored egg behind her, and then it says res chicks, and it's got the Made by American Indians logo to the left side of it and the egg on the right side of the chicken. Yeah. It's very distinctive. <laughs> yeah, it is. And um, you, you told me a while ago folks are wanting, like, T-shirts and stickers and stuff like that. I can't believe reschicks.com hasn't been taken up yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're going to be back uh, after this break. We'll continue a little bit with uh, the ladies of Res Chicks Co-op. Uh, this is the menu on Native America Calling, our regular feature on Native food news and sovereignty. You can join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. We'll be back. Support for the menu comes from Spirit Mountain Roasting Company, a small batch specialty coffee roaster located on the Fort Yuma Quetzon Reservation. Information and online ordering at spiritmountainroasting.com slash news. This Valentine's Day, you can give all your sweethearts truly unique gifts from SweetgrassTradingCo.com, a Ho-Chunk Inc. company where you can choose from a variety of food, beauty, and wellness items from tribes across Turtle Island. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. This is the menu on Native America Calling, our regular feature on Native food news and stories. I'm your host and producer and resident foodie here at Native America Calling, Andy Murphy. There's still a bit of time to join our conversation. Uh, What exciting new uh, Native food projects are taking place near you? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Uh, let's go back to our guests from the Res Chicks Co-op. Uh, Catherine, you were just talking about, um, you know, some funding and programming that you guys are taking advantage of through USDA and Intertribal Agriculture Council. Um, you know, what are some of your your future plans and, um, you know, what can we look forward to seeing from the Res Chicks in, in the next year? Well, me, myself, I'm not into um, whacking my birds, but the, mm. there's some other cooperative members that want to transition into adding meat birds in there. So I believe in 2023, we will also um, be raising meat chickens and possibly turkeys. Um, so we're, we're really, you know, just taking it one step at a time. We have... Uh, other than the, the chickens being wiped out so many times, we've had so many successes and we're so blessed in this in this journey. Um, being able to find the funding resources that we've found, um, Oregon Food Bank, for instance, not last year, but the year, I think it was 21, we came across one of their um, notifications for funding and we were a week late you know, we didn't, we, we had missed the deadline. <clears throat> and um, Diane Gassaway with Northwest Cooperative Development Center, the lady that's been helping us through this, she said, well, she says, call and find out. She said they may set, accept a late application. And we called, and we were the only tribal entity in the state of Oregon that, you know, applied. So they accepted our application. 
and we were able to buy equipment with that. The following year, we got a, another, uh, this past year, we got another one uh, from another source in Oregon. And we were able to buy um, um, premier poultry fencing. So all of our coops now are secured by the electric fencing. It, it's, it shocks the heck out of those dogs and anything else that comes at our birds. So <laughs> we've got that all taken care of. Um, we've got another one coming forward. We were just notified uh, through Feeding America. It's a national organization, and we plan on purchasing a automated. Um, it takes a long time to clean eggs and to, to wash them. It's a candle them to wash them, um, but this machine it will candle the eggs. You know, it looks through the eggs with the bright light, and you can see the cracks and anything any disfigurements in there. And then it washes them and then blows them dry on the other end. And we just have to put them in the packaging. Right. So. Um, We've been really, just really blessed to find mm -hmm. these sources like that. Nice. All right, then. We'll be, we'll be keeping an eye on you guys. Um, and, you know, be cool to see what, uh, you know, comes from, uh, you know, all of this in the future. Um, before we go on to our next topic here, I want to go back to uh, Deb. Uh, Deb, what's the history of, um, you know, egg production in, uh, you know, that part of Native America? Well, when we were first starting, I spent a lot of time on the computer looking stuff up, and, and I stumbled on a Washington State historical um, reference. It had a page, and it had talked about the Cayuse Indians who sold eggs to, you know, the settlers. And it was 40 years before Oregon or Washington statehood. So it just kind of was reaffirming to me that, you know, doing business can be and is a tribal activity. You know, just because you think of American eggs now, that it's just justified in the past as it is now to provide food for your neighbors and, you know, and help each other out. So, which just was a big thing for me. Right. Awesome. In, in a way of getting youth encouraged to be in it, that it, it can technically be a traditional type of a thing to do. Right. And uh, what would you say to um, folks who are looking at the egg prices at the grocery store and they're like, I'm going to buy me some chickens. I'm going to get some eggs. What would you say to uh, folks about what it takes to buy chickens and, um, you know, raise them for eggs? Well, first off, I would recommend finding somebody who already has their own chicken. Like some, I had someone asking me at work just last night, man, I really want to get more eggs. They're too expensive. And it's like, well, I think I might know somebody that's producing right now. So finding people in the community that are doing it already is a huge thing to spark that interest. And they see how much better homegrown eggs are than store-bought. Um, and then just start doing research. I watch a ton of YouTube videos for what? Three years now, mm -hmm. <laughs> just trying to educate what backyard ones are doing, what what the big commercial people are doing, and we're just really trying to find what would fit with us. Because even though we have us, we have individual us's that, you know, have our own things for where our places are to deal with. Like my 10 acres is fenced off already against predators. Mm -hmm. so I actually witnessed a hawk packing off one of my hens this summer, and I actually had two turkeys in there, two male turkeys, and then... You know, 20 minutes later, there's another hawk sitting on a power pole scoping out the coop and immediately heard the turkeys alarming. So we can go out of town. I have no worries about my chickens being 
alive. The turkeys learned their lesson, so they're our guardians. Mm-hmm. They sleep outside of the coops. and <laughs> So mm-hmm. I would say, you know, definitely do your research. I didn't know what I was getting into when I said yes to the mm-hmm. co-op, but it's, it's grown a whole lot more than I even imagined. I could not imagine doing this without the grants and the help of people that are in the know on how to get the grants. And, you know, we do the research and try to figure out what we need. And so it's just huge. It's just a real big, me talking on this show is a big growth factor. So, (laughs) Um, yeah, do your research, eat eat eggs and find eggs that are already produced locally. And so. All right. Cool. Well, thank you so much for that, uh, Deb. Um, you know, we have a link to, um, you know, what's out there on the web on Res Chicks on our website, NativeAmericaCalling.com. Um, let's go to our last guest here. Joining us from Seattle, Washington is Anthony Johnson. He's the restaurant manager of All All Kitchen. He's Anishinaabe and a citizen of the Red Lake Nation. Welcome to the menu, Anthony. Hey, Andy. Good morning. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, you know, got excited about All All Cafe. Um, your menu looks pretty awesome. Um, can you can you um, go over the menu with us? What are you guys serving at All All Cafe? Yeah, certainly. You know, we're we're trying to switch things up as much as we can, keep it fun and you know interesting. Um, but we got a bison taco that's uh, kind of a staple on the menu. Um, braised bison from the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe. They're out of Mobridge, South Dakota. Um, Serve kind of street taco style with uh, pickled red onions and cilantro. Um, and we got a rabbit stew that just hit the menu a couple weeks ago um, with uh, three sisters. Uh, we're using tepary beans from Ramona Farms down there on the Gila, uh, Gila River Indian Reservation. Um, and then, uh, we got a couple pastry items too. So we have, uh, wild rice, uh, maple syrup coffee cake. That's got wild rice from my tribe, um, in the topping and then flecks of rice throughout the cake and then some, uh, rice in the batter as well. Uh, we have a little mini indigi pie, we're calling them, uh, huckleberries, Pacific Northwest huckleberries, um, and then, uh, some blue cornbread. Nice, nice. It sounds like you guys have the hookup from American Indian Foods. <laughs> yeah, certainly. You know, that's, <laughs> that's really what it's all about, you know, trying to showcase and, and uh, highlight, uh, you know, Native and tribal businesses. And with that goal in mind, you know, we're, we're uh, redistributing wealth, you know, and keeping, uh, you know, keeping those funds within the indigenous economy. Right, right. Um, you know, one thing, uh, you know, you know, at least writing the script material here, um, all all is uh, looks like a very special word because it's a little bit hard to uh, type, uh, you know, at least in, um, you know, on the keyboard. <laughs> uh, what does all all uh, stand for? What does it mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all all is the Lachutzid word for home. Mm-hmm. Um, Lachutzid is the, the language of the Puget Sound. Um, that was, uh, you know, largely revitalized by, by Hilbert. Um, and, uh, it, uh, so all is the name of the, the structure that we're in the building. Uh, the building is, uh, primarily, uh, 80 units of permanent supportive housing, uh, owned and operated by Chief Seattle Club. Um, and then on the ground floor there, um, 
we are, you know, we're, we're nestled uh, uh, in a little tight space and <laughs> um, we are open to the public, um, but we are, you know, ourselves owned and operated by the, the club as well, Chief Seattle Club. Um, and then directly next to us, we have uh, a clinic. We have the Seattle Indian Health Board, um, you know, right next door to us. Uh, so we're all kind of within the same structure. And that, that was, um, you know, built from the ground up by Chief Seattle Club. So we had, you know, steps along the way to, um, you know, really indigenize the entire space and, um, you know, make sure that our relatives that, um, you know, were battling housing insecurity, housing instability, had a place to live that, you know, they could call home. Nice, nice. And um, what's been, well, you guys have been open since uh, December of last year. So I imagine there's a lot of, um, you know, remaking the menu and, um, you know, listening to, you know, reviews from customers. What's been the reception so far, um, you know, from folks who've visited El El Cafe? Yeah, it's been it's been really positive, um, which is you know felt felt great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, indigenous foods are are something that I just care so deeply about, and um, you know wanted to um, serve the best possible food that that we can, and also then you know tie that into the mission of Chief Seattle Club and let folks know what the organization is about. You know, we're a native-run organization, been around for like 50 years um, and, you know, we're really making strides to solve this, uh, you know, the housing insecurity and homelessness problem uh, for our native community. And um, the public has been, yeah, it's been super positive. You know, a lot of people had never heard about Chief Seattle Club and had lived in Seattle their whole life. Um, So we're able to kind of tell those two stories of, you know, the work that the club's doing as well as um, the importance and the significance of traditional, you know, indigenous foods. Right, right. And, um, you know, what what can be the importance and significance of indigenous food to, you know, some of our relatives who are maybe experiencing uh, homelessness in, in Seattle? Yeah, well, I think, you know, from, from my time working in the, uh, we call it club kitchen, you know, but that's, that's a, uh, um, directly next to the cafe, and that serves around 80 to 100 people, uh, completely zero-cost meals for breakfast and lunch um, every day of the year, except for Indigenous People's Day. <laughs> um, I, I worked in worked in the club kitchen and ran it for a couple months, um, and it just was really impactful to you know be able to um, offer folks um, food that you know I believe has a really significant impact on healing, you know, your spirit and healing your soul, you know. Um, And we may not always think about, um, you know, what we're eating as as medicine, but I know that, um, you know, certainly I do. And um, being able to offer Indigenous foods to the Chief Seattle Club members and kind of seeing their face light up to maybe they had a food um, in the club, in the club kitchen that, you know, they hadn't had in, decades since they were, you know, back home on the res, um, you know, you can kind of start to see those memories come back and, um, yeah, really, really bring a lot of joy to people's lives when, you know, you're serving them um, traditional foods and, you know, the spirit always remembers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's been it's been really an honor. You know, I'm not, not running the kitchen anymore, but, um, you know, I'm kind of focused in on the cafe, but 
uh, it's, you know, it's probably some of the most fun that I've ever had. Right, right. Um, you know, on the on the All All Cafe re- website, um, you know, part of the, I guess the, you know, the the pillars of the the you know, website of the uh, restaurant here is redistributing uh, wealth. Uh, h- how does that work at the cafe and with um, Chief Seattle Club? Yeah, well, you know, it's really, um, you know, primary mission of the club. You know, I talked to, touched on it a little bit. Um, primary, it's a primary goal of the cafe um, to source from Native and tribal businesses. And, you know, we've received a lot of grant funding from the city, from, uh, you know, various different um, kind of large organizations, you know, corporate and and otherwise, and through um, purchasing, you know, supplies and product and food from Native and tribal businesses, you know, we're directly funneling that, those funds and that money into the communities that, uh, you know, that into our communities that need it the most, you know, and um, a lot of those funds too then can be um, reallocated in the community and, you know, go towards language revitalization, go to infrastructure, um, you know, go to just simply giving native folks, um, you know, salary as well. And so, um, you know, that's, that's really what we're trying to do is to buy as much product as we can from native businesses um, because we know that, Native folks have never had, you know, fair access to capital, fair access for economic opportunities. Um, and it's, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a meta goal, I guess, of us to try to, um, you know, right some of those wrongs. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Anthony, for joining us. That was Anthony Johnson from All All Cafe. Um, He spoke of a taco. We have that taco and a couple of uh, dishes on our website, NativeAmericaCalling.com, and on our social media. Uh, You can go there to find out um, more about the show, our guest today, and of course, what's coming up. Um, I'd like to say thank you to all of our other guests we had on today, Justin Payoshi, Deb Harris, and Katherine Mentorn. Um, join us next week for another lineup of discussions about indigenous issues and topics. I'm Andy Murphy, host and producer of The Menu at Native America Calling. Have a good weekend. This month and every month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a healthcare professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash hbpcontrol. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 2112-27 and CPIMP 2112-28. Indian Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation. 
a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.